0: Hello, I'm Renee Vaughan Sutherland, and welcome to Greater Than 11%, a podcast born out of the shock and surprise that according to a report published earlier this year, that only 11% of women currently hold the title of creative director within the media industry. As an artist and creative director myself, I'm not oblivious to the inequality, which let's face it, is rife in most industries. And spurred on by the 2018 Create Your Futures event, which challenged those attending, What they would do to address the imbalance. The concept for greater than 11% was born. The ultimate aim is to contribute to significantly increasing that very small percentage. Having reflected for some time over the potential reasons as to why across the board there is such a disproportionate number of women to men in creative roles, I arrived at the fact there is a lot of careers that I have absolutely no idea what they are or actually what skills they require. So the possibility to inhabit or aspire to have those roles can never eventuate. I should also say here there is of course many other factors that contribute to inequality, misogyny being quite a significant one. As I'm super interested in how others shape their creativity, I'll be chatting to a range of women over the series exploring their careers and their creative lives in the aim to expand the knowledge of the vast number of options available for pursuing a creative career in addition to shedding some light on what others do. Today I'm joined by Laura Francis, Senior Editor at Content Agency Hub, based in London, where we both work together. Laura's worked for a range of broadcasters, Discovery, ITV and Sky to name a few, and has worked on some juicy documentaries such as The Race of Their Lives and The Magic of the Big Blue. She has an innate sense for storytelling, both narratively and pictorially, and when crafting an edit, has the ability to reveal the hidden, that empathetic moment that hits you in the gut, makes your heart swell and your lip quiver. I think it is more than fair to say, and which I'm sure she will agree, she is extremely chilled and is unflappable in the most stressful of situations, which often arise in the edit suite, as a result of not having all the shots that are needed, technical failures and last minute changes by clients, the producer or mm, the creative director. She also has an extremely dry sense of humour. She brightens the dark space of an edit suite with her fantastic style and is a delight to collaborate with on a regular basis. Laura, welcome to Greater Than 11%. Thank
1: you. Awesome intro. (laughs) All true. I mean, I'm just going to take you everywhere with me. (laughs) It's my hype squad.
0: (laughs) Happy to do it. And I'm going to embellish it more and more every time, obviously with truthful things. All right. So to kick off, I'm going to go back to my kind of initial beginnings in the media industry. Um, I was already, in fact, a grown up, uh, having gone to university uh, later and graduating at 30. And my first job was an edit assistant. And I was completely rubbish. Uh, I, hadn't, I had to work like extremely hard to get to a decent standard of just the basics and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to be an editor and realised pretty quickly that actually producing was better suited to my skills. I'd say it's invaluable now that I did it, it helps with ideation and also putting it together when you're on a shoot. But I'm absolutely in awe and admiration for editors. For me they are somewhat the unsung hero of many productions across all genres, film, TV, branded content and documentary. Editors find those moments that can suck a punch a viewer that is off script. They can reshape a narrative uh, and add a whole new element to the original concept. So I'm curious as to firstly, how did you arrive at wanting to be an editor, and then what was that journey?
1: So yeah, I don't know if I actually understood what being an editor was when I'm, you know, when I was at school or anything. But I just, I just loved TV. I loved watching it, and I loved. Uh... I'd always notice things about about TV as well. I was like, like you know, weird things like watching Extenders and like the catch-up. But would be on the wrong side of the table in the next shot or something. <laughs> I'd always, I'd always <laughs> just like notice really random things, and just completely annoy my family all the time. Um, and you know, like just wondering how things were done, like how they, how they managed to do those effects or or what was happening. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't know how and I just wanted to know why. Yeah. So I've always got that kind of curiosity. Um so after school I I went to do a higher learning course or AS levels. Um well, I did business <laughs> because um I don't know, maybe the pressures of being like um a, a young black girl in my community, like maybe it's it was kind of like having a creative job was just kind of unheard of and yeah. a bit random. So, you you know, you had to be a professional, you had to be a lawyer or a doctor or mm-hmm. something that earned some bloody money yeah. because, you know, your family's kind of sacrificed so much for you to be able to have this education and, and, and have the freedom to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I did business. Um, And I quickly realised that I hated it. (laughs) Like, I hated it massively, like, really badly. And so the next semester, I changed and did media. And part of my course was the editing. There was nothing that I loved more than just kind of piecing it all together and having that uh, ability to kind of make something out of not very much was really satisfying. So after I finished that course... Um, I did a, a kind of extra um, foundation course on top of that. Mm-hmm. I decided not to go to university. But I didn't really know where to start, really, because um, it's just not really something that anyone that I knew had ever done. Mm. I googled it, researched it, and just ended up um, sending my non-CV, my <laughs> CV of nothingness, um, <laughs> to like a 100 a people or so loads of different post-production companies in and around Soho Mm -hmm. and just trawled the streets of Soho as well like literally going into companies and and handing in my CV and stuff and uh, got like about 10 responses or 5 or 10 responses I can't remember but not many that were just positive (laughs) most of them were like rejections Um, and then ended up for I got one call from a very small company in Soho DGP which was my first ever runner's job mm-hmm. and I actually remember I went to that interview in a suit like so you couldn't let your business ambitions like go that. I don't know
0: why I'm you in, were like in a suit I'm gonna show a them <laughs> that this runner means business
1: I mean business That's, that just shows my naivety like I didn't know anything about industry in yeah. terms of how relaxed it was or that you could just go in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt but yeah so I went in a in a suit and I got that job do you think it was because of the suit? <laughs> yeah, suit, suit sold it. Clinched it. <laughs> um, and I stayed there for for about six months, only a short time. Mm-hmm. But it was really nice just to kind of understand it. But I think I had to change my personality a bit. Mm-hmm. Because it's strange to go into a working environment where you're isolated in your culture as well. Yeah. Um, so your peers are completely different to the people that you work with. yeah. And maybe changing my personality in order to fit that was a bit difficult at first. I think I kind of came across as a little bit, probably aggressive, a bit standoffish. Just because I'm open as a person. And yeah. I didn't realise that like, not everyone is as open. Mm. Um. So maybe that, that was it, really. How old were you when you got your first job? I was... Uh, 17, almost 18.
0: Yeah, so you're still yeah. really young and you're still figuring out who you are and you've yeah. gone out into the, from school to out into the world.
1: Yeah.
0: And this notion where you start thinking about if I'm going to fit in here or being able to continue with this, I need to change my personality.
1: And then what does that mean to you now looking back? I think it wasn't really a change of personality now that I can see myself. Mm-hmm. I think it was more like just toning it down a little yeah. bit. Maybe... I think you just have to have a different approach. Everyone's different. Yeah. okay? So recognising people's differences mm-hmm. and changing the way that you interact with that person. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily your personality, but accommodating their kind of little idiosyncrasies. Because growing up in a black community, and I went to a school that was majority black as well, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like I had a, a huge amount of of different races of friends. Mm-hmm. And then to be in a... Environment that's completely white was like a a real culture shock for me. Was like, well, okay, so I can't speak to you in the same way that I would with my peers because we're culturally different, and so then I, in order for me to get my point across without coming across like a really aggressive, angry person, I have to change. It's so funny our first experiences at work,
0: isn't it? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I love
0: that as at that age for me as well. I really thought I knew pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> and as I get older, I realise I know nothing.
1: <laughs> I think I remember uh, actually at my first job, I remember saying, um, I didn't know he was like the CEO of the company at the time, but I was in the kitchen making breakfast for the clients and I was just like, Oh God, you are really in the way. Do you think you could just do something to go somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> Cause you just ruining my space here and it's really getting on my nerves and um, so then he was like oh right okay well I'll just leave then and he went out and then one of the other others said to me like you know who that is don't you and I'm like nope don't care he's in my way (laughs) and then he was like yeah CEO oh okay crap (laughs) well you didn't lose your job yeah I didn't lose my job but I could have yeah so yeah I learned pretty quickly to be more aware of my surroundings and yeah. the people as well yeah. but I just got the bug and I, I was like I, I definitely want to do this um, and so moved around a lot of different post production houses in Soho and just kind of built up my skills learning mm-hmm. speaking to other editors um, loads of different types of production roles mm-hmm. just trying to you know understand everything I could about it um, and I ended up in a company called St Anne's, St Anne's Post, which mm-hmm. was co-owned by Asset Media at the time. And they did a, a lot of different productions for for all of the UK TV mm-hmm. programmes, like loads of different channels. So um, there I could kind of, I was still a runner, but I could still, you know, interact with clients, mm-hmm. meet people, talk to other editors, Um, And after being there for about a year, then I started to move into the the machine room, Mm -hmm. which is like um, the technical area that kind of looks after all of the client's needs in terms of um, looking after footage and doing tape transfers, making sure there's all like regulation checks, legalizing, things like that. So all of the the behind the scenes legwork Mm -hmm. for making a TV program. And that was really cool for for kind of building up my technical skills and understanding the terminology and jargon for all of the things that you need to be an editor, Mm -hmm. because it's not just about um, what you can visually create. And so I did that for for about another year, and then I left to go and join Discovery. So I joined Discovery, which actually was run by Asset Media at the time. Mm -hmm. So they run their their play-out center, so all of their broadcasting, and so when I went to Discovery, there wasn't actually an edit department. Mm-hmm. So I uh, joined as an ingest operator, which was a cool job because I I got to watch programming that was already made, yeah. do stuff like QC checking, legalisation, which was another side of of technical skills that I needed to kind of add as well yeah. for editing which was really, really useful.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's checking everything before it goes live to broadcast. to exactly. so make sure, you know, like yeah. you said, QC, so quality control, making sure that kind of all the luminance balances are correct yeah. for broadcast, that they're not too bright, too dark, all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah, so learning all of those, those trade kind of tricks yeah. that you, you need to know because uh, everything is regulated. Mm-hmm. So you need to stay within those limits. Um, and I did that for three years and then Discovery decided to build an edit facility. So, so at twenty three, I became an editor, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing and unheard of. For you know, people don't that young aren't normally editors. Yeah. Um, so it was already a, a great achievement for me. It's awesome. That's amazing. And hard work. You got there with hard work. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Very hard work and a really long slog. Mm. But it, it was worth it in the end Mm. you know maybe we can look at so for me like an editor takes
0: many shapes and forms and i say that because that role covers a load of different industries um you know we've got kind of broadcast we've got filmmaking we've got um, branded content and kind of corporate and i'm wondering um
1: for you and your current role what does a typical day look like so for me a, a typical day is well, depending if it's a new job, if it's a new job, then I'll go and speak with the producer or the producer will come and speak to me and then we'll discuss the client, the project itself, what the producer's hoping to achieve Mm -hmm. by their brief or what's been shot. Um, And then we'll try and come up with an idea. What I normally do is I'll look for the footage, try and get a feel through it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe if I have to pick some music or some sound effects or something, then I'll start to kind of source those. Mm-hmm. And then I'll I'll go through the footage and, and build the basic structure mm-hmm. of what I believe their idea to be and how I've interpreted that. Um, And then normally I'd just... I'd, either I'd go back to them at that point and say, like, this is what I'm starting with. Am I on the right track? Mm-hmm. Or if i really feel like that's the right way i'll i'll finish it to the point where i feel like it's it's good enough to show someone yeah and then i'll go back for them again and we'll keep working until it's done okay and what is the roles that support you what's the, like if you have a team how does and how do they work so if the fundamentals are the producers and my edit assistant or tech ops those are the people I mean, I'd like to say cameramen, but they never really—I never really interact with them very much. Mm. And it's—I'm normally cursing them quite a lot <laughs> for what they've sent <laughs> me. Um, but in in the day to day, it's the producers and 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 my edit assistants uh-huh. because without them, I don't have a reason to be making something. Uh-huh. So the producers are kind of fundamental in the sense of that they bring me their concept and then I'm given the task of making something uh, a realization of their concept. Uh-huh. So they are really fundamental in the creative process for me uh-huh. in the first place. And then obviously my other assistant's gonna be supporting me in terms of footage and making sure that everything's there yep. and everything's in the right place and then I can keep that organized structure without sacrificing my creative time. Uh-huh
0: what would you say are the attributes needed by an editor and how that differs between each genre type that we talked about earlier on? So, like, a difference between creating a documentary and perhaps to a drama.
1: Well, I I don't know if there are that many differences. Mm -hmm. Like, people always ask me about, like, what's your style of editing? And I don't believe that an editor should have a style. Mm -hmm. Like, because you have to be flexible depending on what you're working on because your approach changes for everything. Yeah. But, um... I think there are fundamental attributes that you need which are patience and humility. Mm-hmm. But you need to be patient because you're never ever going to get anything to be perfect at all and it's never ever going to come in like the footage is never going to be exactly what you need. You're never actually going to have the exact cut that you need or the right angle or Even the right colour balance, it's impossible sometimes to have... Except when we work together. I mean, yeah, obviously, (laughs) because you've got it down. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) It comes in, you're like, this is the best footage ever. (laughs) Um, So you have to have patience. And also because sometimes someone is going to want to change something, and you're going to have to change it maybe a million times. Yeah. And you might watch it 100 times in one day, but you've still got to look at it like it's fresh. Yeah. So having that kind of patience is is kind of imperative. And I say humility because you can't be too precious about things. Yeah. I mean, like, you've gotta have, I'm, I'm proud of everything I do and if I'm not proud, I'll, I'll, I will walk away. Yeah. I'll, I don't want to make stuff that I'm not proud of. Yeah. But I think you have to be flexible in order to change something even if you don't actually know why someone wants to change it yeah. because Not every time that you're in an edit, do you understand every point of what that producer has to produce and where it's going to end up and why they're doing a certain thing? They might ask you to do something and you don't really understand why because narratively you might think, I'm not sure that works, or I would rather not use that shot, but there's always a reason because perhaps maybe there's like compliance issues or some other stuff. And if you spend all that time battling, for the tiniest thing, then you lose everything. Because you waste all your creativeness from just arguing about stuff. So I think if if you're humble about stuff and you can take on board other people's suggestions, you can also end up with something awesome.
0: I think as well, that's what I learned, especially with editing, and I learned that anyway, working especially with clients, is you can't be emotionally attached. You've got to try and protect the work creatively, but you can't, you can't get emotionally <laughs> heartbroken if something has to go, which you really feel strongly about. Yeah, exactly. So what would you say is the best thing about editing? Because this is a job that you wanted, even though you didn't really know what it was. You found out what it was. You worked so hard, you applied yourself. You got to where you wanted to be. So, and you still love doing it. So what's the best thing about it?
1: For me, like the coolest thing about being an editor is that I get to see exactly what I've done every single day, I get to have achieved something every single day and also that it's, it's, it's a really quick process. So I don't have to spend so much time to, to reap the rewards of, of my hard work, I see it. So I can, I can go to work one day, make a programme and it'll be on the TV the next day and and that's awesome. Yeah. And maybe not everyone knows that I did that, but when I see it on TV, I'll know that I yeah. did it. And and that's awesome. I'm wondering if you can tell me
0: about storytelling through editing. Cuz it's different to writing a story or to shooting a story or you know, editing is yeah, you have all these pieces. Yeah. And you have a a line maybe from the director or from the producer or. Yeah but then you still have to put the narrative and the pictures together and make it obviously interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think like d- documentary editing is is difficult in the sense that it has to be linear in 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 order to tell a story. So you kind of bound you're bound by that a little bit. So if you're following a character for example, it has there has to be considerable amount of continuity within that. You can't just always chop and change or take him from, I don't know, being in a house to suddenly being in his car or... You have to explain that and you have to let the images explain it.
0: Yeah, I think though, especially with editing for me and when I watch others do it and, you know, you're exceptional and especially in the kind of documentary style for, for kind of the work we've done together is that you're telling a story through the voice narrative or the voiceover or whatever it is that's actually verbally telling the story. But then you're also telling another story with the pictures. And obviously the pictures can change what's being verbally said. So you've almost got three or four strands of stories at any one point going going on. Yeah. And then you have to weave all that together into kind of this master narrative and story that is the pictures are complementing the kind of, you know, verbal narrative, the voiced narrative. Yeah. And just wonder how how you work with that separating that because it's a lot of information and you have to look at a lot of footage and then you have to put it all together in your mind and then you have to go back to that footage and you might see something else that you you know you either missed or you forgot about so there's, it's quite a lot of mental kind of strength that goes on when editing so
1: i what i normally do is i'd build it once and i'd watch it and then i'd leave it and i'd go away I don't know, an hour or so, and come back and watch it again and see if I have the same feeling or if I understand that there's another feeling that could be interpreted from it. I think it's always just about remoulding it and changing it again and almost like a Rubik's, just kind of twisting it around and seeing what kind of result you get until it all fits.
0: Because I think it's a real ability in your mind's eye as well to take all the things that you've seen and keep twisting it around like a Rubik's. Because it's in your mind you're doing that. It's not yeah. necessarily on the sequence, on the timeline yeah. that you're editing with.
1: Yeah, I think like that's what I've always said about editing. It's, it's a really intense puzzle. It's an enigma. And you're just kind of swish, shifting it around all the time in your mind, how you can create loads of different outcomes and you just kind of have to decide which outcome is the best one mm-hmm. and work through that. And it might not even work in the end. Yeah but you've got to give it a go anyway and just keep doing it until until you come out with something that's really cool.
0: I always think with editing and I still edit, but mainly on kind of my own kind of productions. But I always think when I kind of get to the point where I'm like, okay, that's it. I think of all the millions of other variations that could have been told or shown or, you know, put out there in the world. And I think that's what's amazing with editing. Yes, you can shoot things in various different ways, but an edit is like a jigsaw that can be fit, fitted together in like all these permutations. It's not one thing. And I think that is the magic of the edit. That's why I'm so in awe of editors, because I do think it's like all the things are thrown up in the air and they're kind of grabbing things and, and laying it down. So what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges in your career?
1: I guess because I started so young, convincing people that I know what I'm talking about, is probably the most difficult thing. I remember being like, when I first started, sitting in my edit suite, setting up, was waiting for my client and he came in and then he just kind of sat down next to me, opened his laptop, was just like doing, feeling around, doing his emails. And um, (laughs) I was like, "Um, so do you wanna wanna get started? And he was like, "Um, yeah, but I was waiting for the editor to come. And I was like, oh, me, hiya. it's me. Yeah. Hiya. Um, and, and, but then he was like, really, it's you? And I was like, yeah, it's really me. Like, this <laughs> is what you got.
0: <laughs> Are we going to start? This is where you should pull out what you did to the CEO and go, <laughs> "Yeah, in my space right now. <laughs> I think you need to get out of my way.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so I think, like, just every time someone new would come in, it's that time of having to prove yourself for the first, you spent the first hour trying to convince them that you know what you're doing, um, and I think that became, I think that's a bit, that's quite taxing in the beginning, mm. but I think once I understood that, that that's what I have to do, yeah. it was kind of okay, I was just like, okay, well, today, let just convince you again, because yeah. I can. <laughs>
0: Which must be great, because that, that, you know, you've know you got the goods to back it up, so it's like, okay, well you can doubt me, watch this. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find inspiration, and how do you incorporate it into what you do?
1: I, I love to watch what other people are doing, like other programmes, TV programmes, documentaries, films, and to incorporate that in work, I don't really know if I'm stealing other people's kind of creativity and taking it into my own. Maybe maybe if I really thought about it, I probably am doing that. But it's this kind so. of subconscious thing.
0: Don't you think it is like we all do that anyway? We see things and we're like, oh I'd like to try that, but we always have our take on it.
1: I just like to take ownership for my own stuff. <sighs> yeah. So if I especially if I collaborate with someone on something, then I'll I'll never say it's mine. Yeah. It's always ours. Yes. So I think yeah, I just maybe it's just um Life in general, mm-hmm. I think. What
0: advice would you give someone wanting to be an editor?
1: For me, it was it was really good to kind of understand the department that I wanted to be in. So if you can figure out that as soon as you can figure that out, that's the best option. Mm. Um, if you can make that decision really quickly, that would be the best way forward because it's it's a really long road to get there. So if you have to change course at any point, you know, you're gonna run into some problems. And I'm not saying that you won't get there, but it will just be harder. Yeah. And and talk to people. Because I think, like, a lot of editors, we love to share knowledge, and we're so cool with helping each other out. It's, like, there's no dumb questions. Yeah. So if, if you have an, a, a chance to, like, speak to an editor, or even, like, the forums that are online, there's loads of them, just to ask questions. You can and, and there will always be someone to, to give you advice about it. There are avenues always. I never knew about the forums. There's that, loads that would help me out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there are loads online. They've saved my bacon all the time. But... Like if if Google doesn't know the answer, that yeah. the forum will. Can you let me what what's coming up for you in terms of kind of editing or creativity or I I'm loving my time at Hub, so I'm loving all of the stuff that we get to work on and I'm hoping that we get the opportunity to do some more long form because mm. I'm kind of missing it a bit. It'd be quite nice to do like another documentary or something similar in that vein. Yeah, yeah, just long form in general. Um, but for me, it's always editing. I, I I'm not giving it up. Yeah, not for anything. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, all right well sadly we're coming to the end it's always sad when I get to the end because it's like you just start chatting and getting into the vibe and you're like oh, out of time but I think you know we discussed this earlier and at the end of each episode um, I ask each guest to firstly tell me about their a role or a job that they're interested in that they kind of don't know very much about and they'd like to know more about so I can see if I can find someone um, who can come on we can have a chat to them um, but also a woman they'd love to hear on the podcast, and uh, yeah,
1: what are your thoughts? Okay, so I think a role that's always really interested me is um, screenwriting, simply because I'm so visual, like everything I do is based around the way something looks, and even when I have to write scripts now, it's always helpful for me to already have the footage, because um, I just can't make it up, <laughs> it's a bit strange for me. Um, so. That's always been an interesting thing of like, how do you build a story out of nothing? Um, And I wouldn't really know how to start or even begin to get into that uh, kind of job role. Um, So for me, I think a really interesting person to have on the show would be like, um, would be Daisy Cullum. Mm -hmm. She is a screenwriter for loads of different uh, TV programmes in the UK so she's done like Humans Grantchester Deaf in Paradise wow. she's even done a few like soaps as well like um, EastEnders and Casualty uh-huh. stuff so she's got like a, a really broad range of creativity uh-huh. I think it'd be awesome to hear from her
0: okay cool I'll see what I can do see if we can get on, her uh, on the podcast uh, Laura thank you so much for your time today I've loved speaking to you and um, I'm really
1: grateful I can speak to you all the time as well <laughs> <laughs> we do thanks
0: thanks Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, please write a review on Apple Podcasts as that helps other people find greater than 11%. And also stay subscribed to keep up to date on the weekly releases. This podcast is made possible by the support of Hub, an insight-led content agency based in London. A huge thank you to the producers Pat Murray and James Haberson, and to Mary Continenza for the designing the beautiful artwork.